Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland-Steed. Hi, and welcome to At Work in America. You are here with Trish, and Steve is actually on a flight as we speak. So I'm very excited, though, to be coming to you today with a very special show. We're going to be talking about inclusive healthcare, supporting the modern workforce to attract and retain talent, which, as we all know, is such a challenge in today's uh, job force. So we're happy to welcome uh, Jenny Mayorskaya, and Dr. Jerrica Kirkley to the show today. Jenny is the founder and CEO of Stork Club, a next generation benefits provider that helps enterprises attract diverse top talent, drive better clinical outcomes, and reduce their largest healthcare cost, which is maternity care. Dr. Jerrica is co-founder and chief medical officer of Plume, a virtual healthcare center of excellence dedicated to the transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming community, which provides gender-affirming care via telehealth. But before we welcome them to the show, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Paychex. This episode of At Work in America is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. As the workplace continues to evolve, businesses are being forced to adapt and innovate to meet the challenge. In their fifth annual workforce trend study, it will help you understand this year's top business challenges and set your strategic priorities. So get the report 2023 priorities for business leaders, trends, insights, and ideas for an evolving workplace to learn the challenges that are facing businesses like yours and how you don't have to go it alone. You can find that at paychecks.com backslash AWIA to check it out today. And I assure you, it is a really great resource for anyone out there who's looking to uh, tighten up the priorities, especially as we're getting toward the middle of the year. But with that, I would love to welcome both Jenny and Dr. Jerrica to the show. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Trish. Really glad to be here. Thank well, you so much for having me. So glad. Well, this is obviously uh, a topic near and dear to my heart. I was uh, saying before we started recording, um, you know, we're going to be talking about a lot of different um, treatments and things that need to be made available to um, to all genders that can help through the um, basically through your entire life cycle, if you will. And there, there are certainly areas where we haven't seen as much support as we would like to going through the past couple decades. So Jenny, why don't we start with you? You're the co-founder of the Stork Club, or I'm sorry, the founder and CEO of Stork Club. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in this, uh, this career and how it all began? Absolutely, Drish. Well, um, I'm so glad that we all spend more time talking about this right now because it's not like our life substantially changed right but this social stigma finally is it's becoming less effective and we can have an open conversation so for me it all started in my early 20s when I was actually diagnosed with some reproductive health issues 
And I still remember how my doctor actually told me, hey, to just drop everything you're doing right now, go find a boyfriend and have a family right now because you're going to have really hard time conceiving later in life. And can you imagine, like, I am 20 and, like, I, I run a company in a completely foreign country. It was really heartbreaking for me, right? And I think it has got a lot of um, insights from my story and other people that when we think about overall family building or even maternity care, right, what it was a century ago and how it was created and for whom it was created, it would be mostly a heterosexual couple, then a woman would have a baby before she even turned 20 and mostly stay at home after that. And this is just not how the modern family looks like anymore, right? And that's what was really biggest inspiration to how close those gaps, right? And always create the next generation of family building and overall reproductive care to support every person on their journey. Yeah. I, you know, I agree with you. It's, it seems like it would be shocking that someone would say that to you, right? When you, you have this sort of medical issue. I was working in my twenties as well, had pretty much the same conversation as it related to infertility. It was, you know, my doctor told me you need to find a less stressful job or stop working. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, I would be mortified if someone, you know, I have a a daughter who's uh, 19 right now. If someone were to tell her that I would, I would feel really bad for her. So, um, so I'm glad that you, you know, you took that as inspiration and a challenge to go out and create something that can help organizations really think proactively about healthcare as you said, as it comes to reproduction and just the way that we can even talk about it, because I don't know about you, but I think, you know, 20 plus years ago, right, when I was having this conversation with my doctor, um, it just felt like I had no resources at all. Do you find that employers yeah. are really open to getting into what kind of resources they could even have at their fingertips that they're not aware of? It's a great question, Trish. I would say even now that there were so many articles about this, right? There were so many celebrities actually became very vocal about their journeys and not just about family building, but overall reproductive health, right? Because again, it's changing over time. And then we also all became vocal, oh, wait a second. It's not like it's just about fertility health, right? But it does affect overall physical and mental well-being of every person. And so later in life, we might talk about menopausal symptoms, right? And how they affect us. Before we even consider building a family, we think about now fertility diagnostic and potential fertility cryopreservation also for all genders, right? So what we observe is that the game really changed very substantially within just past even like five years, which is such great news for everyone, right? We became more vocal, more employers provide this type of support for their members. And even traditional insurance companies already adding more and more support in terms of education, but also actual medical treatment, right? And clinical advancement is also there that we actually can have those options. And I think like some of the really looking like miraculous uh, cases then women I think even have births while they're like in their 60s this is like very very standing out cases but this just like shows what human bodies are capable of right and I'm really excited about the future because I do see that we can provide more support and enable people to build the family 
regardless of those obstacles. And this is really great, right? Because one thing I really see for building Store Club as a company is that there's nothing really more important for people than being able to build a family, regardless of all these obstacles and not, not be alone. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think you're right. The support is what's really critical because, you know, when you're talking about, it's not just your health, which, which it obviously is, but that's such a personal thing. And when you feel like something is wrong and you can't fix it and you don't know how to go and get support, it's just, you start spiraling, right? Um, before we, we dive into that even further, let's bring Dr. Jerrica on. And uh, I would love you to just share what you what you went through in terms of the thought process of starting Plume. I know you were a co-founder. And tell us a little bit about Plume and, and then maybe how you're working together with Jenny. Yeah. Um, well, it's already been an awesome start to the conversation and uh, could <laughs> uh, add to a lot of what Jenny said, but to back up a little bit, um, you know, Plume, so we're a, a basically a virtual healthcare provider for the transgender, gender non-conforming, non-binary, expansive, gender diverse community, right? And and all all the ways that we we show up in the world. Um, and uh, you know, our vision is to transform healthcare for every trans life. And we see ourselves doing that in a few different ways. One, of course, providing direct patient care to folks and providing the highest quality, most affirming, most accessible care that we can. And um, in, in using our care platform, which is uh, pretty unprecedented in terms of the numbers of folks we're caring for under one clinical roof, um, which is amazing and humbling, uh, but, be, but being able to learn from that and taking those learnings to inform not only our care to keep improving the quality of our care, uh, but the, the gender affirming care that all healthcare providers provide in this country and around the world, um, and ultimately to help inform policy change, right? And so that we really are talking about increasing access and fundamentally changing healthcare for all trans and gender diverse people. But where we started um, is, is really similar to Jenny. You know, this was based on uh, recognizing an unmet need um, and, and also personal experience. And so I'm a family physician by training. I've been providing gender affirming care in a variety of settings for over 10 years, uh, but mostly in federally qualified health centers free clinics. Uh, and that's always been my passion is trying to find ways to provide high quality care to communities that have been underserved, that have been left out of that system that Jenny noted was built for a very specific archetype in mind, right? Which very specifically was cisgender, heterosexual white men. And, and you're know, really trying to think beyond that um, and in a big way. Um, but along with that, I've had my own personal journey and, you know, coming out as a trans woman over three years ago and and all the process that, processing that led up to that. Um, and so seeing there was a massive need for care, um, a lot of trans folks not getting the care they needed um, because of a lack of providers who just didn't have the training and clinical and cultural competence. Um, of course, a lot of social stigma and bias, um, but then I've had to walk through that system myself, right? And, and even with a lot of knowledge and privilege as a physician, it's been challenging just to get my own healthcare needs met. Um, so taking all that combined, you know, that was really the impetus for starting Plume, uh, to, to really try to provide the best experience possible, um, for all trans and gender diverse folks. And, um, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, you're really both pioneers and I love that as with many things in life, it often starts with a very personal journey that you're on and seeing that 
that need that you know other people are having. Um, so I applaud you and thank you for for both sort of taking that to the next level, right? Not just taking taking it on for yourself, but taking it on for others. And um, and Dr. Jericho, you mentioned underserved communities. You know, that's one one area I think, especially when it comes to gender affirming care, um, they certainly don't have access, right? That that maybe even a, a very small percentage of the population would would have uh, to begin with. So yes, I think you're you're both sort of addressing a, a really important need. Um, Jenny, I'd love you to maybe talk a little bit about um, the partnership with Plume and how the two of you are, you had a, a recent uh, announcement, um, you know, in, in the news and, and how you're working together. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about, um, you know, how that can impact employers today. Of course, yes, Trish. Uh, well, we're very excited uh, to partner with Plume as uh, they're definitely one of the leading providers of uh, this type of care, specifically gender affirming care, right? And I'm sure uh, Jericho will share more exactly how did they get to this uh, status and how they're helping. But overall, overall, I would share what we at Store Club do and why we have this partnership in place is we ensure that when employers really uh, evaluate what type of benefits they want to uh, add to this set uh, of supportive system, right, for their employees, there are so many solutions out there, right? And we can all have empathy that usually those teams of HR benefits of people are still lean and they have to A, analyze what needs to be added, B, buy all of the solutions and we actually put them all together, right, to engage members and actually provide value. And it's very, very challenging. So what we see, and I want to highlight this, is why why do we dedicate our lives, Jerrica, I, and so many people have created this type of care, right? What based on what we uh, based on what we see right now is it's really high priority uh, problem to solve specifically not only family building but overall we all know during COVID so many people experience mental health issues right it's still a very serious uh, problem to solve um, and it might be actually solved not just through access to therapies but actually addressing real problems right and being able to have control over your reproductive health is a very important solution to also mental health issues for example again knowing that you can have a family even if you're not in a relationship right now, right? So you have ability to cry, preserve egg or sperm, uh, which just five years ago was probably like a whole sci-fi, but now so many people do this, right? And again, we can openly talk about this. And then being able to create a family as well, right? Based on very different terms. Sometimes it's for single parents. Sometimes it's for a uh, non-traditional uh, family, right? Sometimes it's for parents who are just older in age, etc. And then when we talk about overall comprehensive health, this is where it's important that uh, at Store Club, we provide support for everyone's reproductive journey, right? And also for people who are going through lifetime uh, transitions, right? Whereas it's a menopause or low testosterone, which is uh, a testosterone level change in age uh, to age for men as well, right? And of course, gender affirming care is critical. If we want to be really, truly inclusive, and if we really want to ensure that we bring 
the support to people who are in the transition, but who also might be either now or later would like to build a family, right? And being able to do so and, and just be who they are. The way we select our providers, we really want to make sure that we give access to the best providers available on the market. And of course, we do vetting together, right? But also, what's the next generation healthcare? It's not only that you can walk in in the office with a doctor, but then you can have this access through an app, right? You can have a telehealth visit. And this is where we found that Boom is doing really the best job on the market by providing easy access to care, but really vetted providers. And the way our partnership works is that we actually provide access to gender-affirming care through, again, vetted providers as a part of the commercial insurance. So as I mentioned, there are so many point solutions for employers to search for, right? And we make their job so much simpler. We package it all together in store clubs. So actual employers can set us as a part of their existing health plan to make it easy. And then it's much easier for members to navigate this type of care as well. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, it's interesting. You, I jotted down when you mentioned that it's you know we're we're now able to openly talk about all of these types of care that we we need throughout our lives. I know in the um, in the press release, um, you know, it talked about the the high percentage of people that are actually impacted by one of the various um, things that you mentioned in terms of whether it's low testosterone or going through menopause. So it's fair to assume that there are people in your workplace going through all of these different needs, right? And so being able to talk openly is just the first step, really, for a company to start thinking about. I so much agree with this. And just to share, you know, some numbers, maybe for uh, our listeners, we see that about 20% of the American workforce experience uh, menopause each year, right? And this is like pretty conservative data. We think about this basically like all people with ovaries at some point will experience menopause. It's more like a question of the severity of their symptoms. It's about 40% of men over the age of 45 would lose their ability to produce sufficient testosterone. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure uh, Dr. Crookley can share some of the details on the agenda from here as well. Yes. And Jerrica, I'd, I'd love to throw it to you, Dr. Jericho, because, you know, we talked a little bit at the at the beginning um, about people who are choosing their workplace, not just because they might need care, but they want to make sure, um, especially, you know, Gen Z uh, wanting to have a workplace that is very inclusive of everyone's needs. So I'd love to get your perspective just on that and then maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of the specific needs um, and gender affirming care that could be given that isn't being given right now by many employers. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, well, starting with the first point, it's absolutely true that I think we're increasingly see uh, a lot of our workforce choosing employers based on how they're taking a stand socially, right? And that means not only for, of course, their internal employees and the benefits they're offering and the programming they're offering um, around acknowledging many different communities and backgrounds, um, but also how they're showing up in the world in regards to, you know, I think in our space, um, intensely uh, pressured by anti-trans legislation, for example, right? But we see this across the healthcare spectrum. We talk about um, uh, reproductive rights, uh, you know, and abortion access and other issues that get highly politicized. And, um, 
so yeah, short answer, uh, folks are looking at that as they choose employers. And I think especially in younger generations with Generation Z and younger who are now comprising, you know, at this point, 20 to 30% of uh, our workforce and will continue to grow over the next significantly and, and quickly over the next five to 10 years. Um, we're definitely seeing that in a lot of different companies and, and in our company too. You know, we, we kind of have a two-pronged path. We're providing gender-affirming care, uh, you know, for the trans community and gender-diverse community, um, but also building a workplace that as much as we can uh, is inclusive, uh, you know, that over two-thirds of our company is trans or gender-diverse with a lot of uh, intersectional backgrounds within that um, and have to think critically about, you know, how we craft our, our benefits, of course, too. And so um, uh, that is a high priority for um, for a lot of folks. Um, and uh, remind me the second part of your question, Trish. Well, I'd, I'd just love to hear about what are some of the different um, therapies or um, different solutions that are being offered to people who mm -hmm. are either trans or gender diverse? What type of needs are they having that weren't being met that now, thanks to Plume or other, you know, maybe partnerships like with Stork Club that are now being made available to right. both the trans and gender diverse community? Yeah. Um, I mean, it really starts with talking about the landscape of care really now, but as it has been historically, and that is starting to shift, as you noted, and I'll talk about that. Um, <clears throat> but where most folks have tried to get care is usually in what we'd call the primary care network, right? Walking into your local uh, primary care clinic and, and trying to get care. And in those cases, um, you know, upwards of a third of folks are trans folks who are actively discriminated against, whether through physical or verbal violence in a healthcare facility, uh, specifically, right? And that doesn't even count for how you get to that healthcare facility, your transportation, your home, your neighborhood, you know, all the steps you have to take to just get there. And there's still the discrimination and violence within healthcare facilities. Um, uh, and over half of trans and gender diverse folks have to teach their providers, their physicians, uh, how to provide care for them, right? which is the wrong flow of information. Um, and uh, so that's what it looks like because there is not universal training when it comes to again, training on clinical and cultural competence in medical schools and nursing schools, you know, physician assistant schools, social work schools, all healthcare uh, training grounds do not have this as universal education. And so it creates a massive backlog in provider capacity and availability. Now, if you're lucky enough to live in a city, a major market city where you have maybe an LGBTQ plus health center, for example, a little bit higher chance of having, you know, an affirming experience, but can be really high wait times, upwards of six to 12 to even 18 months in some of these clinics just to get in, uh, which unfortunately can be the difference of life and death for many people. Um, and if not that, you know, significant consequences on our health. Um, and then there's the black and gray markets where folks are unfortunately having to turn to other alternatives outside the healthcare system uh, because the there just really aren't options. And especially when you get into rural areas where there literally are no providers for many miles. And of course, which is not ideal and it's unsafe and unsupervised. Um, so that's what it's looked like for a long time and, and still does to a large degree. Now, what we've done over the last three years is anchored on a virtual model. And that's been super important and I think helpful to increase that access. We're now in 45 states taking care of over 13,000 patients. And, um, and that's unprecedented, as I said before, like you just can't do that in a brick and mortar setting even with best intentions, you just don't have 
the number of people available um, to do that type of work who in our case, and this is one of the, the, the principles uh, behind our care is really providing care, not only learning from our community, um, but through care providers who share the lived experience of our community. Again, you know, over half to two thirds of our clinical team, our entire company are gender diverse in some way. Um, and so that's super important in terms of understanding the needs of the community you're serving. And that's really hard to do just based on how our population is distributed if you're trying to do that in one area. And so um, that virtual model, you know, just to put a couple statistics there, uh, surveys show that over 95% of trans folks, almost all utilize telehealth in 2022 alone. Um, and that uh, 85% of trans and gender diverse folks avoided going to a healthcare facility in 2021 because of fear of discrimination or mistreatment, um, even when they had a medical need, right? And um, so, so that virtual access point has been really critical for our community. It has been for a long time, but of course, COVID amplified that um, for us and, and for all communities, of course, that are benefiting now and from telehealth in a way they haven't before. Um, and, you know, the services specifically, gender-affirming hormone therapy certainly is one of the harder things to get. Um, but mental health service is also very hard. Uh, you know, finding a therapist who is um, understanding of you, uh, but also available and is affordable. And so one way we're approaching that is through peer-led support groups, um, which are included in the membership um, and led by peers. They're much more cost-effective, and we're already seeing great uh, impact in terms of uh, mental health outcomes. Um, so there's just a couple of different ways and, and specific services that, that we're providing, and that can be really hard to get in the general community. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. I think that when you're talking about it, it isn't just a physical thing, right? It is that that mental, the emotional, it's all of the things. And I was actually shocked when you're saying, you know, these even to get treatment can take, you know, 18 months plus. It's sometimes that's too long, right? For someone to wait that long and and you don't want them to to make other choices that are are certainly not going to be in their benefit. Um you talked a little bit about cost. Jenny, I know that that you have a perspective on cost as well. Could you maybe talk a little bit uh, more broadly, because you mentioned, obviously, you know, infertility, menopause, low testosterone is some other um, treatments. What what are the costs associated with offering benefits like this in your organization? Because I, I want to make sure that we're addressing anyone listening who might think like, oh, this is really cost prohibitive. Um, and I know that that's not necessarily the case at all, in fact. Yeah, thank you, Trish. A very, very important question, right? Because when we're going uh, as a country through pretty tough economical uh, situation, uh, many companies asking themselves, right, should we buy more benefits right now? Should we wait? And what's more important, right? Should we invest in one set of services or others? I would say the overall how we see most of the employers thinking about this is there is financial cost, like what is overall healthcare spend, right? And we all know that healthcare in America is really expensive, but we also see that there are most expensive categories. And historically what happened is that um, in general, I guess uh, it's, it's almost always like male angle on healthcare and how it works, right? And it's quite recently in this female angle and perspective also I introduced. So 
overall together, fertility, maternity, and newborn costs, which are so, so connected, right? And basically snowballs, usually if some of the decisions are done in the wrong way in the beginning, are a top healthcare cost in the United States. And it's actually about $300 billion overall annual spend in the United States. And it's bigger in comparison with mental health or even diabetes spend. Just for a second, like mental health and diabetes together, I feel a smaller spend in the US versus maternity, fertility, and newborn, right? So now when we think about this, companies already pay this cost, right? And as our society is changing, uh, more and more people actually do use IVF in order to have a baby, right? Uh, more people do try to preserve fertility in order to be able to have a family later in life. And right now, companies might be not providing this type of benefits, but people already do this out of pocket, right? And how does this affect employers? Well, here is how. Depending on what type of clinic people go, if they go to mediocre clinics, which are cheaper, right? And uh, that's why they might be uh, going to those clinics, their rates for multiple births might be higher. So what it means is that on average, IVF is unfortunately quite often results in a twin or a triplet birth and pregnancy. And usually clinics which are a little bit more expensive, they have design package and their rates for multiple births, what it's called, is significantly lower because they basically optimize, they run a protocol which reduces this risk, right, for twins or triplets. But if there is a twin or triplet birth at first, because people pay out of pocket for their care, then the cost for overall maternity case and for newborn, right, will be actually higher for employer because in most of those cases, it's actually going to be a premature birth. And this is where it basically cascades into a C-section, right? And then uh, potential readmission for the uh, postpartum recovery as well as newborn issues. And this type of pregnancies is basically, there is even like terminology in our market, it's called multi-million dollar babies or million dollar babies, which are relevant to IDF, right? So this is what employers are paying for without even knowing about this, right? That like, this is what might be causing this. And that's why when we really evaluate the cost of this type of care, we should be evaluating, hey, is it possible that we actually can save and reduce the overall cost, right? The employers are already paying. So when we think about overall cost of the treatments, let's say depending on the location in the United States, and we also provide services globally, pretty much in any country. So this is also important to see that prices are very different for the services, right? And in the US, increasing IVF uh, have different costs. Uh, IVF or like basically having an ability to get birth would cost around $20,000. And if we think about this, again, how many cycles would person would use, right? So when we provide this type of evaluation, here's the expected cost and utilization, we run all those numbers, but we also project what type of outcomes people would be getting. And what we see with StoreClub due to our design, we call it managed care, right? That we significantly reduce the number of treatments people have to utilize in order to achieve birth and also significantly improve the outcomes by reducing multiple births and in this way, reducing the overall employer maternity, fertility, and newborn costs. And we, we see that those programs actually ROI positive 
-hmm. and they can significantly reduce the cost employees of radio pain, especially again in those hard times. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that's something we don't think about. And obviously, if you're not comfortable talking about it on the front end, then you're not going to be prepared for not just the the financial cost, but the emotional cost, the um, the missed work. And, you know, I was someone who I had a great employer who paid for part of it, but I went through IVF, you know, almost 20 years ago. And you're right. I had multiple births and it was just a financial strain on my family. Um, it was an emotional strain. It was a mental strain. It was it was wonderful, right? It was the it was the outcome we wanted, but but yes, there was a cost, and there was a cost to my productivity for a long time because of that. Yeah, just the the mental stress. Um, Dr. Jerica, I'd love to have you comment on sort of the similar cost perspective when it comes to sort of proactively um, offering gender affirming care versus if you don't offer it and maybe what what the costs are at the back end that we're not even thinking about whether it's physical or, or mental or emotional yeah i'd be happy to um you know we think about cost with our community one of the big things comes up uh that we talk about a lot at plume is trying to provide the right care at the right time and what we see is that the trans and gender diverse community um do tend to be higher utilizers of care, but that's oftentimes higher, higher utilizers of care in the wrong place, right? And so such as the emergency room or other settings where care is going to be more expensive uh, because the access points for care and the proactive care, as you mentioned, can be so limited. <clears throat> and so things snowball, whether that's mental health, um, other physical health conditions, and to the point where, you know, folks are ending up into the, the ER and care is really expensive. Um, and so, you know, our goal really is to provide, be as proactive as possible in whatever way we can do that. And certainly, you know, in a virtual format, lots of care we can provide with traditional medication management, whether that's hormone therapy, depression, anxiety, um, other basic primary care needs. And again, also approaching that from a non-medical, uh, non-clinical angle with mental health support, community support, and logistical support. You know, there's a lot of things um, that folks don't think about when it comes to the trans and gender diverse experience that are fairly taxing. And that can be things like trying to change your name or your gender marker um, and, uh, you know, access different care referrals. Um, and so providing that guidance can go a long way. Again, not even the prescription, um, but can be important for maintaining and improving mental health and quality of life. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, so that's where we see uh, a lot of the cost burden um, we do know that that uh, trans folks are disproportionately affected by various um, physical and mental health conditions, right? And we think about certainly depression and anxiety, um, but also uh, things like cardiovascular health, um, HIV and AIDS. And uh, so there's a lot of certainly prevention work um, that we have a lot of work to do um, in, in meeting our community's needs. And again, the reason that a lot of folks are not getting that prevention work is because of intimidation of entering the healthcare system, lack of trust, and um, uh, and just lack of opportunity and care providers uh, for that care. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I I want to ask you, and and this would be just you know, if I'm someone who does not have any sort of program or training, or you you mentioned I you know John cultural uh, competence earlier when you were talking about 
training for the medical community to be able to work with people who are, um, you know, gender diverse. Uh, there is no training really, unless you, I guess, if you seek it out specifically on your own, maybe um, for HR professionals. And yet the, there's sort of the front line from a work perspective of whether it's from the hiring, right? Making sure that you're inclusive from a hiring perspective, but also that's the the team of people who are sitting down with the benefit providers and trying to make sure that you are even thinking about all of the various services um, that and, and types of care you would need in order to be inclusive for someone who's trans or or gender diverse. Could you maybe address if I'm an HR person, I'm listening to this and and I know that we don't do this in my organization at all. What is the best way or the most appropriate or or culturally sensitive way to even ask um, to get this started in my organization, because I don't know that we know necessarily how to do that. Yeah, it's a great question. There are um, there are a lot of organizations that do that specific work. Um, and so, um, you know, even something like a, you know, we'd call it sort of like a trans or gender diverse competency 101 training uh, for a workplace, um, right? And, and that's a starting point. Um, this can be something that's done live, a recorded module that all employees, you know, watch and participate in as they onboard and periodically through the course of their employment. Um, but usually those organizations are going to have other resources as well. And so whether that's like frameworks on, you know, what we, you need to be thinking about, right, in terms of selecting the technology used in your company, whether that's your HR platforms, your communication platforms, you know, how are folks acknowledged in those platforms, whether it be their names, their gender identities, their pronouns, right? Yes. And um, there's a lot of things to think about there, but that can be a good starting point. There are actually like consultant groups and organizations that specialize in that and and oftentimes, um, you know, uh, who are staffed by gender diverse folks themselves um, who've walked through that. So um, that can be a, a good place to start in seeking that out and having that initial conversation and they can usually provide a roadmap and different options of how you can engage them. Good. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, um, I think it's like it's like any any group, right, that that over the years that in human resources we have to address, you have to educate yourself first, right, in order to bring it to life in your organization and you have to make sure that that you are being as open as possible and and unafraid to ask questions, right? Curiosity is okay if it's with good intent and to try and bring services to um, all of your employees who who need it and education to them. Um, Jenny, I know you were maybe going to add on there. Yeah, yeah. I actually wanted to add is that the overall space, I think, is quite complex. There is so much to understand here, right? Because we're way overdue uh, to provide this type of support. That's why companies like Store Club, or we also see healthcare consultants provide uh, webinars, right? Or just simple educational sessions. We at Store Club, for example, provide monthly webinars for our members, educate them on very different topics, as well as we do provide open webinars for HR benefits teams and healthcare consultants. The best way to navigate this is just look at our LinkedIn and you will be able to see this. And my recommendation would be working closely with healthcare consultants as well is very often they can point you to the right direction and don't be afraid to start this conversation with your healthcare consultants and just join the webinars because it takes some time to understand the topic and it's quite quite complex. So start in advance. I, that would be my recommendation. 
I love both your suggestions. I think, you know, it's, I feel like we've gone through this before with, um, you know, maybe people who are, um, whether it's physically disabled, dif different mental abilities, um, it's the same thing. It's sort of like, I think, you know, within a work confines, you're a little bit nervous, like that you don't want to offend someone and ask something the wrong way so that you just don't ask the question. And so nothing ever gets fixed, right? So I think it's, it is, it's about, like you're both saying, reaching out to consultants who know how to properly navigate this and, and bring sort of the right questions into the organization, right? So that you can identify who needs the services, who needs this type of um, assistance and support. Um, because the end goal is that you want all of your employees to feel like they are a part of the organization, right? And that they're cared for. And, you know, I, I think my, you know, over 20 years spent in human resources before doing what I do now, it was, that was what it was about. You want employees to feel like they're cared for when they're within your walls of your organization and that they're able to show up and bring their best abilities um, forth. And if they've got all these other things weighing on them, that certainly will, will be a barrier. Um, before we close, I want to make sure that I mention both websites. Um, we have joinstortclub.com. And then we also have getplume.co, right, that people can go to. Um, Dr. Jericho, why don't you go first? Where can people connect with you? Or is there a certain thing on the website that you want to point them to as, a, as an entry point? Where can they learn more? Yeah, certainly can learn more about Plume going to the website. We have quite a bit of resources, an extensive blog collection um, to learn about our services, what we do, and different topics within that. Uh, for me, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, Plume is on social media at uh, Plume Clinic. Um, so you can check us out there as well. Wonderful. Jenny, how about you? Yeah, as for me, uh, definitely join storeclub.com, uh, our website. A lot of information. We also provide the inside statistics, uh, concepts, how to think about this in our blog. And then uh, me personally, the best way uh, to reach out is LinkedIn. Uh, I check it very frequently and I think it's uh, really great tool to connect. Also, a lot of what we uh, were discussing today, a slightly different angle in the deeper dive, we also uh, will be covering on a webinar uh, on June 27th. Uh, we have a link on our LinkedIn, so I highly recommend. It's actually called From 20s to 40s. And just to walk for the entire lifetime, but also again for everyone's journey, right? Including gender diverse population. Um, and again, everyone. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I'm hoping that you have one out there for the those of us who are 50s plus, because <laughs> as we talked to the like before we start recording, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, you you hit menopause or different times in your life and no one tells you these answers, right? You're just out there kind of waiting yeah. a little bit. So I, I think it's great that you both have um, so many resources. And thank you for being a resource today for all of the listeners. Um, I know we plan on sharing this as, as widely as possible. And I hope you'll both come back on the show. We'd love to hear from you, you know, in six months to a year and hear how things are going and maybe even, uh, you know, what else we can be doing to be helpful in, in spreading the word so that people become more curious and ask those questions. Thank you so much, Trish, for bringing this topic and bringing our voices to the uh, people leadership community, right? We cannot make this big change without working on this together. So I'm very grateful to be a part of it. And thank you so much, Jerrica, for the partnership. 
Yeah. Thank you, Trish, for having us. Uh, really great conversations. And thank you, Jenny, for doing the amazing work that you do. And likewise, excited about the partnership. And I think, um, you know, hopefully this demonstrates how uh, healthcare providers and employers can, can partner to really meet patients' needs. So thanks for having us. Yes, you're welcome. Well, listen, thank you to everyone who's listening and for joining us today on today's episode. Thank you again to our friends at Paychex for just constant support and making this all possible. Um, a big shout out to Steve Bose, who I know is very sad that he was not able to record with us, but um, I'm sure we will get him on the next time that we have you both back on. Um, for now, please again, go to joinstortclub.com or or and getplume.co for further information and to connect. And we will catch you next time. And bye for now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.